one of the ideas that we're hoping to leave you with at the end of this series is that you will have an increased conviction over the idea that you're in full-time ministry. Uh, so whether or not you're a student or if you're a, a stay-at-home parent uh, who does some of the hardest work, you just don't get paid for it, uh, or, or if you're a, a cleaner, an executive, um, a designer, whatever the case is, you are, in, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in full-time ministry. And so we're going to take a look at, at trying to uh, just shift some of our mindsets wherever necessary. Um, and just so you know, we're, we're using the term work, but I want, to, I want you to understand that we're, we're referring to whatever is your primary responsibility. If you're a student, I don't know if this is good news or bad news for you, but that's your primary responsibility. That's, that is your work. That's, that's where God wants to see you uh, carry the most responsibility, diligence, excellence. In fact, I would argue, but stick with me so that you'll allow me to convince you, that our approach to school may be more spiritual than your approach to a Sunday if you're involved in church. Like that may actually be a greater reflection of your actual relationship with God or how you, who you are at home, how you are towards your parents, whether they deserve it or not. We, we need to see everything as actually being a reflection of our relationship with God as all a part of our discipleship. Everything is spiritual and I'm hoping that we can get these points across to you. So I want to take a look at a couple of paradigm shifts uh, today. Just, just a few very quickly, very briefly. We're going to unpack this a little bit more as we go along in the weeks ahead. This is just a four-part series. In fact, the more I've gotten into it and the more books I've been reading, the more I'm thinking, sure, but like we could do 12 weeks or 20 weeks on this. So we'll, we'll definitely be coming back again. But for the purposes of today and introducing the series, I want to simply look at us actually changing our lens. So our, the lens through which we look at work, responsibility, family, whatever the case is. The first paradigm that I want us to try and review and shift is that everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. That, that's not just a, a nice, churchy, Christian uh, term. I actually want to point out that in the Old Testament, which was written, by the way, originally in the Hebrew language, there is no word in the Hebrew language for spiritual. So the Bible that Jesus read, the Old Testament, right? So from Genesis through to Malachi, at no point would you actually see the term spiritual used in the original language. Maybe, maybe it's been brought into some of our English and other language translations. But in the Hebrew language, there is no word for spiritual because everything is spiritual. All of life is spiritual. But I think that, and certainly I've grown up like this, I think that in a Western Christian context, we tend to think that there is a divide between the secular and the sacred. Or, or what we might think is secular and spiritual. So you might feel like what I do if I'm doing it through the church or if I'm doing it th perhaps through a charity or some you know, a great nonprofit, okay, then maybe that's, maybe that's spiritual, right? Like maybe God can use that. Where honestly, God wants to use you where you are. In fact, I think one of the challenges for us as a church is that it's so easy for us to spend the majority of our time talking about the minority of your time. When the majority of your time is wherever you are for 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week. And, and this, you see, if, if we misunderstand God's heart, then we might just feel like, oh, there's one more thing to feel bad about. Okay, I'm not honoring God at work. Okay, I'm not putting in all the effort I need to at school. Or 
I want to kill my kids right now. And, and so you might feel like that's just another form of shame or condemnation. But, but my hope is that you'd actually be inspired to see that God actually cares about where you are. God actually cares about your responsibility. He actually cares about your colleagues. He cares about, he certainly cares about your kids. Wherever you are, God cares about actually helping you to find fulfillment, meaning, and purpose where you are. Andy Crouch, he's authored many books uh, and was a musician as well, said that one of the most stubborn of Christian heresies is the idea that there is any part of our lives that is secular. There is no part of our lives that is secular. You might think, okay, God's in this relationship because they're nice and they love God too. God definitely isn't in this relationship because this is the cousin of Satan and there's no way that God could be involved in it. And I'm saying, no, no, actually God is involved and wants to be involved in everything. Everything. Think about this for a moment. We know about the last three years of Jesus' life. But for 90% of his life, he lived in obscurity. He lived in the ordinary. He lived in day-to-day -day responsibilities. He was a manual laborer He was a, he, or, or an artisan. Some, some have even argued that, that back in the day, because of the absence of materials, when referring to him as a carpenter, that he was probably a little bit more like a builder. So, so there, there was a very uh, sort of practical, tangible responsibility that Jesus carried for the majority of his life. Think about this. The father said to Jesus, well done before he'd done a single public act. So when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, he comes out, you know, the dove, and then this booming voice from heaven, well done, my good and faithful servant in whom I'm well pleased. He hadn't done anything public yet. He hadn't broken the internet. He hadn't been tweeted. He hadn't been, you know, he didn't gather a couple of hundred million followers on Instagram. No, no, he had done nothing yet. And his father was saying, well, done. In a media age, we tend to evaluate significance by prominence or popularity or fame. And God's like, no, 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 no. The, the stuff, I mean, if you think about your body, the stuff that is least prominent is the stuff that's most important. So, so my nose might stick out, but it matters a lot less than my heart, my kidney, my lungs, etc. Great author, Tish Harrison Warren, who wrote the book Liturgy of the Ordinary, a couple of other books too, I'd, I highly recommend it, said that the Christian faith teaches that all work that is not immoral or unethical, so can we just accept that that's obvious, okay? So as long as it's not immoral or unethical, is part of God's kingdom mission. The kingdom of God comes both through our gathered worship each week, so that's what we're doing right now, but God's kingdom is also built as we are scattered through our scattered worship in our work or school or home each and every day. We are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in full-time ministry. Whether you're doing a good job of that or a terrible job, doesn't matter. You're in full-time ministry. Whether you like it or not, you are, Jesus said, you, if you're a follower, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. So number one, we have to shift our mindset to understanding that everything's spiritual. Second, we need, to, we need to evaluate our mindset where we see work or responsibility as a burden as opposed to a blessing. Is it a blessing or a burden? Now, I don't know about you, but when I first started working, so I started working at the age of 14, obviously doing part-time stuff. In fact, I was 
a pizza maker for the very first Panerotis that ever, that ever came into existence. <clears throat> I wasn't great at it, but I was a pizza maker. Then they allowed me to, to waiter, and I was worse at that. But anyway, I used, to, I used to just assume that work is a necessary evil. Right? Okay, this is a safe place. You can be honest. Who thinks that work's a necessary evil? There's like four honest people. We might think that work's a necessary evil, you know, and we think back to where, to where you know, Adam and Eve sinned and God said that the land is cursed, etc., and, and there's going to be painful and difficult. And we misunderstand that actually work and responsibility existed before the fall. Adam and Eve had, were given responsibility. They were told to, to steward the land, to steward the animals before sin came into the world. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not difficult. A lot of the time, it might be. Again, I, I, I waited and did all kinds of jobs for the, for, throughout my whole teen years. I remember thinking, now, please forgive me in advance if you're in the hospitality industry because I don't have this opinion anymore. But I honestly used to... Th- Safe place. I used to think that there was a special place in hell for restaurant managers, okay? But, but, but I'll explain why. Like, not all restaurants, it's just the guy, like, I happened to work for guys at, like, St. Alma's and, and, and Panerotti's and a couple other places where I just thought, like, you got, like, they were just, they were just evil. Like, they were just ugly, ugly people. They would flirt with the ladies, abuse the guys, and I just thought, you guys are dogs. I don't think that anymore, okay? And I didn't have any experience with high-end restaurants. But it was tough. It was challenging. Looking back, I can see how God wanted to use that, though, to actually be a blessing, how God wanted to use that to, to form parts of character and work ethic and discipline, and yes, how to actually be a light, how to be a blessing where you are, regardless of what's going on. While I was studying as a young adult, I did everything from security Guarding, which I wouldn't have been great at, but anyway, security, there's lots I wasn't great at. Telemarketing, janitorial work, cleaning, uh, gardening. I was, I was a factory line worker, you know, kind of in, for the night shift, like the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift, literally just standing and taking a tray of yogurts off and putting it onto the crate and yogurts off. And so, so I know what it is to do what feels like mindless work, where you're just a cog in the system. You're just a, but I'm telling you that work, if we will have the right perspective, if we will look at it through the right lens, it is a blessing. God's plan is for it to be a blessing and not a burden. Now, just so you know, what I'm about to say to you, I've got permission from Graham to share this. Now, I've worked for Graham Evans, who's our senior pastor, who will be sharing in two weeks' time, so he has a chance to defend himself and attack me. I asked him if it's okay for me to share this. Because Graham, and he'll share a little bit about this in a couple of weeks' time, he was a lawyer before he was in full-time ministry, and he used to often comment from the stage on how he used to work for Hitler's cousin. And all of those that worked for Graham would say, like, Graham, we feel like we work for Hitler's cousin. Like, you're hardcore, you know? And he was. He was hectic. The first 15 years was hectic. I may or may not have sworn at Graham more than once. I'm just telling you the truth, okay? So I'm saying, I know what it is to, to... to be in a situation where you feel like you're being mistreated, where you feel like you don't agree. I've lost sleep over what I have thought are disagreements, only to see God bring it around to where I've had to see Him actually shaping me. I've worked with Graham now for nearly 25 years, and I can tell you that he's probably, arguably, outside of my marriage, probably the most formational relationship that I've had in my life, certainly in my adult life. So there has been pain, there's been difficulty, there's been friction, there's been a bit of iron sharpening iron, 
But I'm so grateful. I thank God for the pain and the challenges and the stretching because of what I believe he has brought out. By the way, I only swore at him once or twice. It wasn't a lot, okay? And he forgave me, and, and I've forgiven him at times. Uh, the Bible actually paints a picture of God as a worker. We see him as a creator, as a gardener, as an artist, a potter, a shepherd, a king, a homemaker, a builder. These are some of the metaphors that are used to describe what God does. Let's not think that work is just evil. Or that school, I get it. I know that it can feel like school sucks. I remember thinking, you know, I think my teenagers thinking, okay, look, after school, fine, go to varsity. Somewhere along the line, I'm going to finish studying. Almost as though I was thinking I'm going to finish working. And then, like, like don't you get to a place where you can then, like, coast almost? Right? Like, like, you've, like you've worked hard, like you've studied, then surely you're you know, equipped and qualified to do something, hopefully, and you can just then do it for the rest of your life and make money and live well. Only to find out that you never stop having to learn and being stretched. And like it's, again, it's part of God's blessing. You see, we have to redefine blessing. In my opinion, it's, and I think this is, I don't know, I, Actually, I don't even think that is a Western thing. I think it's a, I just think it's a weird vein that runs through parts of Protestant, especially Pentecostal, charismatic Christianity, of which we are a part, where people have way too much of a prosperity slanted view of theology where, where God is my genie and I should, and if I rub, you know, the Bible just the right way or say just the right thing, then I should be able to get whatever I want and I should be able to, and basically my life should be comfortable, pleasant, there be no challenges, and we think that's a blessing. I think we should redefine blessing. Blessing is what is good for us. Blessing is what builds us. Blessing is what stretches us and teaches us and helps us to grow in faith and confidence and peace and joy. We need to redefine blessing. Jesus said in John 5, verse 17, my father is always working, and so am I. Work is not of the devil. Some people that you work with might be a little more connected than what they should be, but, <laughs> but work is, okay, God actually wants to use work. It is his school. I mentioned this definition of spiritual formation a few weeks back by Robert Mulholland, where he says a spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of of others. Great book, Invitation to the Journey. Just the first four chapters are worth the price of the book. I love though how he describes how, how being formed into the image of Christ is not something for us to be discouraged about where we, where, we are, where we are so frustrated by how different we are to Christ, but rather see that as an invitation to where God is trying to form us most. God is trying to form us most at the point where we are most different to Christ. So, so, don't escape that. Allow that to come to the surface and allow God to do the work that He wants to do in us. God wants to form you and use you where you are with your responsibilities, your work, your studies, your family. Dallas Willard, in his incredibly classic book, The Divine Conspiracy, said that transformation is actually carried out in our real life, where we dwell with God 
and our neighbors. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. And it's tempting for us to want to live with the future in mind, or, where, or okay, maybe God will bless me one day if I'm there or somewhere else. No, no, God wants to bless us where we are. So is it a blessing or a burden? Everything is spiritual. And number three, work is worship. This probably isn't what you came to church to hear today, but work is worship. They are not two separate ideas. And I've got to tell you that as I started studying into this, because my personality, when I read this in a book and then I read it in a second book or, or I hear another person mention it, it, it piques my interest, but I don't just trust them. So then I've got to actually go into, okay, why, what are they basing this on? Where is it from? I want to get into the concordance. I want to understand what the original word is to make sure that I'm not just selling you a, a nice idea. But there is a word in the Hebrew language that is used in the Old Testament called abad, A-B-A-D. You'll remember it because you're going to think that work is bad. Okay, so it's abad. Abad is the exact same word used in the Old Testament that we translate in English as worship or service. It is used, so this word for work and worship is used interchangeably. In fact, in the New International Version, the word uh, abud is translated. So out of 200, I think it's 82 times that, that the word is found in the original Hebrew language in the Old Testament, it is translated as worship 52 out of those 280 times. Like, it's not, we're not trying to be clever when we say that we want to turn work back into worship. We're, I'm actually trying to make the case that maybe that is far more an accurate reflection of our love for God and worship than just what we sing on a Sunday. Now, can what we sing on a Sunday be, be worship? Absolutely. But it can also just be songs. It can just be a feeling. You can go to a concert and feel something. Or it can be worship. I would argue that probably how we worship God through work and responsibilities and family and different relationships during the week will probably affect how, how, how sincere our worship is on a Sunday. Sorry, that was mind-blowing for me when I, when I came across this. I'd never really heard this talk before, so you look way underwhelmed. I'm like, that's amazing. Actually, anyway, I thought, I thought that was actually very, very cool. Colossians 3, verse 23, this is in the New Testament, says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Well, Jason, my boss is the biggest jerk on the planet. He is unethical, he is difficult, or she is nasty and mean and shows favoritism. Okay, okay, but let's work for the Lord. Maybe it's a case of honoring the one behind the one that you're needing to honor. That's not to say, obviously there are boundaries. That's not to say that you should be forced to do anything unethical or immoral or abused. We're not talking about that. But I'm saying whatever we do, we're actually doing it for God. Everything is spiritual. Next time you face a challenge at work or school or home, ask yourself the question, God, is How? How? How on earth are you wanting to turn this into a blessing? Because right now it feels like a burden. And if it's all spiritual, okay, help me, to, help me to respond to this correctly. Lastly, number four, we need to see opportunities in the ordinary. We need to see opportunities in the ordinary. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 in the New Living Translation says, whether you eat or drink, which I enjoy doing, by the way, particularly the eating part, to a fault, or whatever you do, do it all 
for the glory of God. How much more ordinary or mundane can you get than like eating and drinking? Than doing whatever you do to actually do it for the glory of God. Which, by the way, so I'm joking about, but, but that means that I've actually got to review whether or not I'm actually bringing glory to God in the way that I'm eating. We need to ask ourselves whether or not we're bringing glory to God in the way that we're drinking. There's a scripture in the New Testament that says that everything's permissible, so that's speaking against legalism, but not everything's beneficial. So am I, am I actually bringing glory to God? in whatever I do. Now, yes, we can take that to all kinds of extremes and, and you can use that against someone else as a legalistic whip. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to look in the mirror. My responsibility is to look in the mirror and say, God, how can I bring glory to you at work with this project, with this team, with this challenge I'm facing, with, with this housemate, with this family, with this teacher, with this responsibility? God, how can I bring you glory in the way I eat, in the way I drink, in the way I exercise. God, how can I bring you glory? Some of the ways that we can bring glory to God in the way that we work, so not just what you do, but how we do it. And not just how you do it, but who you are. Because some of you know that people can do it the right way, but who they are is just ugly. Who they are is just, like it's, there's always an agenda. It's manipulative. It's undermined. No, no, it's, it's how we do it, but it's also who we are. So if we want to reflect God, well, I want to remind us that God is hardworking. So I think we should be hardworking, diligent, not idolatrous, diligent. God had boundaries. He rested on the seventh day, but he's hardworking. So I think we should be hardworking. God is joyful and eager and proactive. So I think we should be cheerful and actually a pleasure to have on a team. God is reliable. So I think we should be reliable. Wherever you are, whoever, guys, whether it's whether you're serving at a church serving in a church context and you are reliable and you don't you don't have an attitude of I'm doing you a favor. No, no. This is my responsibility. Whether it's at work or school, no, no, you are reliable. If you're working in a team and you have accepted responsibility, you're reliable. You'll find a way to win. You'll make it work. God is honest and true. So we should be full of integrity, even when it costs us. Describing a product accurately is a spiritual decision. Drafting documents or designing packaging or giving business advice, these are spiritual matters. We have someone in the church who resigned from his job because effectively his work was trying to sell debt. So, so, so offering loans to people that couldn't actually afford it. And he just said, Jason, like, I just, I feel like I can't do this. And the person he was working for was a Christian. Well, in inverted commas. Just so you know, I don't think anything of someone declaring that they're a Christian it's when we are following Jesus. It's, it's if there is fruit in our lives. So if you've been, so maybe you're exploring Christianity and you've been put off Christianity by Christians. Maybe they're not Christians. Or maybe they are, but they're just very young, very mature, still carrying a lot of brokenness and baggage. 
But the people that, if, if you're going to put any weight in someone, put in someone who you can see there's fruit that they are following Jesus. That is ultimately what a Christian is. Guys, come on, we all know that we're looking for people to trust. Like if, if you're looking for a plumber, a builder, a mechanic, a dentist, whatever, you're looking for a, a lawyer, you want, your, your only hope is, can I trust them? Right? I'm like, I'll, if I have to pay double, I'll pay, I just want to know that what you're telling me is the truth. I mean, I don't want to pay double, but I'm just saying, I want to know that you are telling, like, I just want to know that I'm not being shkomonkled, you know? Don't you hate it when, you t- when your car is going for a service and they tell you it's going to cost 2,000 they phone you back with a 15,000 rand quote for everything that's about to fall apart and you're like, but, like, for real? And I don't trust them. So I don't want to go back there again because I feel like, I feel like they are just looking for, a way. anyway, personal issue, obviously. <laughs> Think about attitudes, right? Think about how people might whine and gossip and backstab. It's not your role necessarily to, to challenge all that behavior, but I think it is our responsibility to not be that behavior, to not, to not add to the gossip, to not add to the complaining and whining and bad-mouthing. Christians, as in actual Christians, followers of Jesus, should be the most reliable, diligent, patient, resilient, joyful, self-controlled, trustworthy employees. Companies should be looking for Christians if they are actually in a relationship with God where we see everything as being spiritual. Where we're saying, God, how I, how I do my work today, how I approach school today, how I approach my responsibilities at home today, God, that is, that is me worshiping you. So help me to see my work, my responsibilities as worship. You may look at someone from the outside. You may look at a, at a barista. Is that how we say it in South Africa? I want to say barrister, but then, it's, but then that's like an attorney in England. Anyway, so I'm going to just say barista, okay? The guy, the guy or the lady that makes coffee. On the surface, two good baristas are going to provide you with a good cup of coffee, right? So, so that's a given. But the difference with a Christian barista should be the level of humility, the level of joy, the level of presence, and, and just, just, just the dignity and value with which we treat people. Guys, there should be a difference. There should be a difference. John Mark Comer, in his book, which is also worth reading, in my opinion, Garden City, says discipleship to Jesus. If you, if you forget everything else I've said today, all right, those of you that nodded off, your screensaver's on, come back to me, okay? I'm wrapping up. Say that discipleship to Jesus is about one simple question. If Jesus were me, if he lived in my city, had my job, my education, made my salary, had my family, how would he live? You want a simple definition of discipleship? That's it. You'll hear us talk about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus would do. That's it. If he were me, if he was a 35-year-old single mother, if he were a 46-year-old manager or employer, if he were a 52-year-old accountant, if he was a a retired uh, from paid employment 68-year-old, if he were me, what would he do? You can argue with people, but I would encourage you to look to God 
to slow down and say, God, if you were me right now, you're in these challenging circumstances, you have these limitations, what would you do? That's discipleship. That is how we love God. That's how we love people. I'm so burdened by how much, without us even realizing it, we're trying to fit into other people's expectations and our perceptions of other people's expectations and how so often we allow that to be a distraction from just actually slowing down and simplifying, not, not denying our fears or our anger or emotions, but actually being honest about them and using them as a stepping stone to get to God and say, God, help me. Help me to see. Help me to stop running. Help me to stop medicating. Help me to stop anesthetizing. Help me to see where I am, who I am, what gifts and limits you've given me. What would you do, Jesus, if you were me? If you're a divorced single parent, if you, if you are unemployed and, you, and you're just trying every, every single little thing you can, or if, you, or if your best is getting a C at school. Okay, Jesus, if you were me, what would diligence look like? What would love look like? What would being proactive look like? What would taking responsibility and not just being a victim look like? God, what, what would it look like, Jesus, if you were me? I would love for you on a practical level to do something that we call the prayer of examine. We've mentioned it before. But wait for the next few weeks without any pressure, without any guilt. This is just between you and God or maybe you talk to someone close to you to just regularly just slow down. Maybe at the end of the day or maybe as you start the day, whatever works for you. God, help me to see. Just help me to see. My favorite passage of scripture in terms of praying a prayer of examine is found in the last two verses of Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Lord, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me on the path of everlasting life. Just, just pray a prayer, prayer reflection. God, help me to see the people I've interacted with. Help me to see opportunities I've had. Where have I been a good steward? Where haven't I been a good steward? And, and accept that he's not trying to shame you if he points something out to you. He's... What, what we so often interpret as shame is actually God's invitation to grow. It's God's invitation towards healing. It's God's invitation towards wholeness. And my last thought is that work will be how we worship if work is not what we worship. When we worship work, which I would argue most people do. So again, whether it's, whether it's your studies, your family, your paid work. When we to worship something is to make a good thing or, or anything, but even a good thing, an ultimate thing. It's to find my to worship something is to put my identity into that thing. It's to, it's to rely on that for identity. It's to rely on that for hope and peace. It's to, it's to, it's to find confidence in my future in that thing. That's, that's what worship is, is to place worth on that thing. Work will be worship if it doesn't become the thing that we worship. Everything I've described is not, is not something that you're going to just hear in a self-help talk. No, no, this is all about Jesus. This is all because of His grace. It is only when we accept His free gift of forgiveness and allow Him to change us from the inside out and allow Him to keep helping us push away condemnation and discouragement and allowing Him to breathe and speak life and hope and meaning 
It's only with Jesus. It's only when He's central, when He's Lord of all, that we can actually walk in freedom and purpose and meaning and where we're not just obsessed with success, we're actually, we actually care about significance, making a difference, living for His purposes. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for every one of us that are here present, for everyone that is watching this online, God, that you would help us to see. Give us a new lens. Father, where we can see that everything is spiritual. Where we can see that some of the things that we think are a burden are actually a blessing. Lord, where you would help us to turn work into worship and that we would recognize opportunities in the ordinary. Lord, forgive us for wanting to make a name for ourselves or wanting to stand out in some way as though that's going to be satisfying enough. And us overvaluing certain responsibilities or certain opportunities as opposed to looking at where we are today. Who are the people around us now? What are the things that you've put into our hands right now? Help us to see and help us to be good stewards of our personalities, our circumstances, our limits, our opportunities, our education or lack thereof. Help us to stop comparing, help us to stop competing. Help us to worship you through every opportunity and every responsibility. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you get in person, you can simply scan the QR code in front of you. Or if you're watching online or you're watching us at a later stage, you can go onto our website and click on the Connect With Us button. We would love to help you take some next steps. If you are wanting to begin a relationship with God, or you want to know what that might even look like, either mail us at milnerton at viewchurch.co.za or click on one of those areas that I've mentioned. Allow us to help you to grow in your relationship with God so that we don't just say that we're Christians by name only, but we actually grow in following Him. Amen? God bless you. Have a great week, everybody. Make a difference.